0: Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com.
1: There is a story for everyone here, because every story matters. Have you struggled with an addiction of some kind, whether it's behavioral or substance-related? My friends, this is going to be another great conversation for each and every one of you. I have been a huge fan of Anna Davids for quite some time. She is a lot of fun to actually speak to and... I had the pleasure and the thrill of actually getting to unbox her incredible story uh, for you guys, and I think you might love what you, what she has to say as well, and the kind of life that she has lived. She's got a lot of experience, a lot of wisdom, and a lot of insights into particular areas. This is a conversation that we do get vulnerable. We do talk about addiction. Why we get addicted in the first place. I myself am a recover I'm an addict, but I'm also in recovery. at the same time, daily management strategies that I implement to keep me away from being indulged uh, in that re- repetition of of the addiction, which stops me from living and, and being uh, my authentic self or reaching the very best uh, possible version of myself every single day. So we do talk about that then we also talk about why you need to write a book. Now I'm also someone that has written my first book. If you listen to my my story on basically going against all odds and getting my first book published, then that is on the show too. Link will be in the below for you guys to to listen to that one. But Writing a book is not easy, but it is one of the most rewarding experiences that you can have. And my guest, Anna David, has written eight books. One of them had become a New York Times, or is, sorry, a New York Times uh, best-selling book, which is honestly a tremendous milestone in of itself. Anna has shared the stage with the likes of Tony Robbins, who's an alumni of the show, and has spoken at three different TEDx events, all of which are featured on the TEDx site. So you can go and check that out. For over a decade, she's toured colleges around the country. She's spoken and educated students about alcoholism, relationships, and writing. She's written for the New York Times, Time, and LA Times, as well as many other publications without the word Time in their title as well. Uh, She's appeared repeatedly on Today, Good Morning America, The Talk, and CBS Morning Show, among many others, and her book, which came out quite some time ago, she's re-releasing it actually, uh, which was actually her first book called Party Girl, uh, has also been optioned for a film, which is pretty cool, by the producer of Martin Scorsese's The Irishman, which is awesome. She also, in addition to all these amazing things, she runs a publishing company called Legacy Launchpad. She transforms entrepreneurial thought leaders into best-selling authors so they can attract high-quality clients, become go-to media sources, land speaking gigs, and grow into being the best leaders in their field. And Anna really is an advocate to saying why you need to write a book. It is uh, such a rewarding experience, most and foremost, actually. Even though it is difficult, it will be a fun, uh, challenging journey at that. But the opportunities that can come from writing a book in the first place is tremendous. And this is also the the second part of the conversation. We do talk about the writing process and why writing uh, a book is important or can be important if you want to go down that road as well. So I know that this is going to be a very useful conversation for each and every one of you in some way, shape or form. I think that all of us have some form of addictive pattern in our life to some respect, whatever that is. I can't make a complete judgment on that, but I do know that Anna is able to help each and every one of us um, help manage it and hopefully my story and her story will help do just that. So please share this one around with your friends and family as well. Don't forget to leave a rating and review over on Apple Podcast too and subscribe before you go. All right, my friends, you know what time it is. It is time to journey with me into this story box as we listen to the incredible wisdom, the advice, and the stories of none other than Anna B. David.
0: Oh, thank you so, so much. That was lovely. And it was so lovely that I do have to correct one thing and people make the mistake all the time. I've written eight books. Only one is a New York Times bestseller, and oftentimes I don't correct people because I'm like, let them think that. But um, but and and the party girl, his name is Niels Jewel, and it's a it's a movie that's in development. So everything else was perfect.
1: Hey, you're still a New York Times bestseller. There you go.
0: Yeah, (laughs) do it once to talk about
1: it. That's right. Well, it's really amazing to have you here on the show. I have been, I guess you could call me a fan from afar for quite some time. I've been watching the progression. I've been watching your videos as well with the advice on how to get a book published and what to do, what not to do, all that sort of stuff. It's been very, very helpful. Uh, The very first question that I do have for you though, before we dive further into your story is what does success look like for you?
0: That is such a great question. I actually have a book called how to get successful by effing up your life.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, I think a lot about success because I come from a family that that was, that was its higher power was success and money. And I always felt so unsuccessful, especially compared to them. They all went to Harvard and had PhDs and I was this kind of F up and, and I believe internally, I thought that making money was a sign that you were a bad person and that one had to not want that and to be, uh, some sort of a creative person. Mm -hmm. And, and all I wanted was my family to see me as successful and they never did. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I remember saying to my dad, you know, I, I did it. I sold my second book. And he said, well, you would have made more money as a lawyer. <laughs> and, and, um, and then, and then I started this company three years ago and I started to make money. I started to make real money. And suddenly they see me as successful. Mm-hmm. And to me, success, it, you know, it wasn't when I was a New York times bestselling selling author. It wasn't when I was on the today show. It wasn't those things. It was my bank account. And, and to me, success is really it's wonderful to have that. It really, really is. But it's also, it's being satisfied with what I've got. I spent so much of my life wanting what I didn't have. So mm. to have these gifts and to be emotionally mature enough to appreciate them and to not be constantly looking for the bright, shiny ball somewhere
1: else. Okay. How did you How did you feel when you did make the money and towards your parents saying, oh, now you're successful. How did that make you feel?
0: I'm not going to lie. It made me feel really gratified that they finally saw me that way. Mm-hmm. But what also happened is that I stopped seeking that validation from them. So I actually think it has less to do with the fact, well, with my dad, all he cares about is making money. <laughs> but but with my mom, I, I it was less what, what was happening, but that I wasn't constantly wanting it. You know, I used to send her articles about me and, and, and never get the response I wanted. And finally, I just sort of think I did enough of spiritual and emotional work to just go, I don't care. And that's when it comes, you know, my mom literally says to me, are you as amazing as I think you are? Or is it just because I gave birth to you? And because I have great esteem now I'm like no no I'm really that amazing it's not just that I you know you, you birthed me so mm. it really has been a journey mm.
1: I can imagine it's being quite the journey for you and you mentioned in that first explanation how you know you kept effing up quite a bit I'm curious what were some of the things that you would class as effing up
0: well I have been fired from every single job I have ever had including swirling the yogurt wrong at a frozen yogurt place when I was in college um I mean it it's really quite incredible I mean I think over 10 jobs and I thought you know I've been sober over 21 years and I thought when I got sober oh this is just cuz I'm you know, out all night and, you know, all this stuff. No, 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 no. It's because of me. As it mm. turns out, I have a lot of trouble uh, respecting people who do not, who I do not feel deserve my respect. And that's actually not the way the work, the world works. You kind of, uh, you've got to have the humility to respect people who you may not deserve it. Cause it's really mm. not up to me to decide Um, So there was a lot of firing. There was a lot of um, just not getting my shit together. And then there was a lot of cocaine. So, (laughs) so um, yeah, I, I really struggled for, I think, a longer time than, than most.
1: When did the, the cocaine start and, or how did it start more or less? Was it someone introducing it to you or was it by your own merit going in and trying to source it out for yourself?
0: Yeah. I mean, it would be wonderful to say like, oh, it was peer pressure. But I, if anything, I probably was the pressurer. I really didn't. Mm-hmm. I mean, I really used them on my own a lot, but you know, I first tried it in high school and I loved it. And then I tried it in college, but it was really still on like a trying basis. And then, and then when I was about 25 or 26, I, I, I realized that I just needed my own dealer and everything was going to be great. And when you're at that stage, it's really, it's no good. You know, it was, Mm -hmm. it it always made me feel terrible towards the end, but I didn't think there was a way to stop. And my life had really gone off the rails. I really had nobody in my life. I had no friends. I was not in touch with my family. I was sort of working because there had been this internet boom. You're too young to know about it. But, but when I, when I was starting my career, I was like, well, i Had been in the working world for like five years or so, you know. in In the year two thousand, suddenly there were all these websites, and I had worked at some magazines where I'd been fired, so I had these writing and editing skills. So I was I was unemployable, but employed, and um, yeah, that was it.
1: Mm. Did the did all this contribute you knowing or being told or thinking that you are effing up a lot of things? I guess trying to find your worth and identity in life, did all that contribute to you and your identity at all? If that question makes sense?
0: It does. It does. Um, absolutely. I mean I think I think well, you know, one of the things that that my dad used to do and my mom a little bit is like they would they would be like, you're a monster. You're so bad. Um, when I was born you know, I had colic. And so apparently I just cried and cried and cried and I always heard about, you know, she had colic. We had to, you know, we had to leave the house all the time because she never stopped crying. I, it wasn't until I was an adult that someone explained to me colic is something just a baby had. I thought I'd had it my whole childhood because that's what I always heard. And I was really emotional and, and, um, And my dad's, you know, very mentally ill. And so when I would cry, he would always laugh at me. And then the whole family would laugh at me. And so, and then I would really act out. and, And all I knew is that I acted out and they would tell me that I was a monster. And so I really behaved monstrously. I really, I was very emotionally abusive to a lot of people. And I didn't, and I didn't, I just thought that's who I was. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until, you know, I got sober and I started to realize, okay, that's not who I am. That's who I've acted like. And I've been acting like that from a place of deep pain and uncovering that and doing trauma work and, and all of these things. And now I get to go, oh, I wasn't, I was reacting to my circumstances. I wasn't, you know, I, I wasn't doing anything. And my boyfriend of three years is like, you're the least monstrous person I know. And I mean, I really thought I was crazy and horrible for a lot Mm. of my life.
1: Mm. What did, or where did your addiction eventually lead to?
0: Well, it really just led to me, um, you know, home in my apartment with two cats and cocaine and wanting to die. And, um, thinking that there was just no, no way to stop. I kept trying to stop and it didn't work. And finally I got so desperate that I was willing to go to rehab and then 12 step. And then it turned out to be nothing like I expected it to be. And it turned out to be this joyful place where people were talking about solutions to problems. I hadn't even begun to be able to articulate that I had. And it's really when my life began. Mm
1: -hmm. You've written a book on addiction, I believe. And I'm curious, why do you think, or what are some of the contributing factors that do attribute to someone being a di- an addict? Because I've been an addict pretty much my entire life, or a recovering addict now, um, more or less. And it was more behavioral addiction, um, not substance abuse. Or really, in a way, I was abusing food and which is technically a substance, you could class it as that, um, but not like the mainstream alcoholism or drugs or anything of that nature. But I'm curious if your work and looking at addiction, why is it that some people do get addicted extremely in the first place?
0: Yeah. Well, by the way, do you have to not eat sugar and flour and
1: that kind of thing? Oh, I still do. <laughs> I'm I'm like people that know me know that I'm a lot better than what I was before, but I love my cookies. I love my, my donuts, all that sort of stuff, but it's like a maintenance thing. Like I won't have it all the time. So I'm careful with that now.
0: <laughs> yeah, I get it. I get it. I mean, so I believe that that addiction, you know, we have a predisposition based on genetics mm-hmm. and I believe it's that combined with what happens to us, um, as between the ages of zero and 10. And, and certainly there are people who have alcoholism in their family and they don't become addicts. And then there are people who don't, who, who do become addicts. And so I do think it's, um, you know the predisposition can just be oversensitivity, being mm-hmm. a very sensitive person who is reacting to a kind of harsh world and going, "This is scary," and I need something to quell that. And part of it is reacting to unbearable circumstances. And so I don't think that people just try to sort of kill themselves with substance uh, or, or or do substances till it's damaging. Unless they're really trying to escape pain. Yeah. So, so, and and I believe, and I certainly didn't, you know, this is just something I've heard is basically it's like, and I experienced at first it works and it works so well. And it's that, that, that panacea for, for all that discomfort and, 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 you know, often works for me for many years. So this rude awakening that it stopped working and in fact really just exacerbated those terrible feelings. It, it, it takes years to face that because what a betrayal. And you're just like, mm. no, 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 no. It's gonna feel as good as it did in the beginning. And and it's and it's when you kind of keep hitting your head against the wall and, and finally you just go, I don't think it's gonna go back there. Let me just see, I'm powerless over this. Let me just explore this other world and, and mm-hmm. that's
1: all it takes. For someone that is struggling with addiction at the moment of all kinds, what sort of advice would you want to give to them?
0: Just that uh, recovery is not at all what you think it's going to be. It's just simply not. And this perception that we have before we get into it, that everybody went, you know, skipping into recovery with holding hands and singing Kumbaya, because a lot of us seem so, happy about it now, um, most people I encounter wanted to die. And they only had that. The only reason this worked is that we were so desperate that we had no other options. And it was only when you get to that place that you can start to see what, what, what sort of shadow you've been living in. And then you can start to really live your life. And it's a promise. It's nothing like you expect it to be. And it doesn't mean it's perfect by any means, but it's a lot better. I don't know anyone who uh, found recovery in their life got a lot worse.
1: Yeah. I don't either. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to be honest. I mean, it's a daily process for me now because I don't want to, there's triggers all around and yeah. I want to try and minimize those triggers as much as possible, but I also want to live my life to the fullest at the same time. And if I want to have a cookie, if I want to have a donut, if I want to have a a bar of chocolate, all that sort of stuff, it doesn't mean that I'm going to become another addict again. It just means that I can can now enjoy that cookie or that chocolate in that time period and then not go every single day (laughs) having a bar of chocolate and then just, you know, going into that same rabbit hole again. So, I mean, it is possible. I mean, it became possible for me and it was difficult, but it's a journey, isn't it? Like, it's a consistent journey. And I'm curious, what are some of the things that you do today that keep you away from going down that same, I guess, rabbit hole of becoming an addict again?
0: I mean, I do believe I'm an addict. I'm just in recovery. You know, it's not really because it's it's in my brain it's it's yeah. how I'm wired and whether I was born that way or whether I was half born that way and what happened to me you know solidified the wiring i, I don't know but i but i'm different i'm different than my boyfriend i'm different than my fellows who are not addicts my brain works differently i'm more self obsessed i'm more insecure and, um, and I'm more aware of those things. I prioritize my feelings. I think my feelings mean everything when really they're just, it's like wind, you know, it really doesn't matter. And, um, and so, so I do a lot and it's so, you know, basically what it comes down to is I, I gotta keep myself in a place where a drink or a drug doesn't look good to me. Now a drink or a drug doesn't look good to me in a long, long time. Cause I, because I remember what it was like, but, but I my tolerance for discomfort and pain is very low. And so mm-hmm. I do these things, not because I'm some amazing person, but I do them because I want to minimize my discomfort. So I meditate about 40 minutes a day. I pray every morning. I, I try to, uh, in Zoom land, you know, log onto a meeting every day. I call a sponsor when I'm agitated. I sponsor other women. And I try to work the 12 steps. And when I do that, my God, my life is, is so much easier. And I have spent many years not doing that, not taking advantage of what's sitting right in front of me. But, but yeah, that's what, that's what I do. I try to be nice. As we were, before we were recording, I was talking about how I'm not that nice. I am, I absolutely am a total love machine to a lot of people. But my instinct is not to be nice. my instinct mm. is to to think you, not you because you're too lovely, but like you, the average you walking down the street is about to like fuck with me and, <sighs> and i better I better have my defenses up and I better my ego better show you it doesn't matter I'm gonna get to you first and and um and so I really have to to pause and and make mm. it not like that
1: that's interesting because. I am generally like not looking to fight anyone. (laughs) Like it's curious to me how, especially in today's day and age, you can walk down the street and there's a couple of people kind of looking like they're miserable and like they're on guard sort of thing. And when you smile at them, they don't smile back. It's changed so much from when I was a kid. And that wasn't that long ago, to be honest. Yeah. And I'm curious why is it that we are like that? Is it because of the trauma? Is it because of the things that we've been through and we're just less trusting in today's day and age?
0: And to be clear, I don't I don't find I've never
1: I know, I know.
0: <laughs> it's very subtle. Um but I I think look, I think uh we uh, you know, going back to to the neanderthals you know we we had to we're on the lookout for danger as human beings that is our natural instinct there's this great book uh by somebody named rick hansen it's called buddha's brain and Mm -hmm. it's all about you know it's just that thing about where you know when we hear a twig over there we don't think puppy dog we think wild to tiger whatever uh because that's what our ancestors thought so we are wired towards negativity so there's nothing wrong with that. But that's why I think anybody who has any sort of predisposition towards negativity really has to work hard to go, ah, that's just fear. That's just, that's got nothing to do with what's going on. And fear, the acronym is false evidence appearing real. Yeah. So I we we think it and we it, you know, sometimes fear is like you're too scared to admit you're scared. So you don't even understand that that's what's happening. Yeah. You know?
1: What's your biggest fear at the moment? Do you have one?
0: That's a great question. Um, my fear doesn't come up. I, I don't get scared of the big stuff. I have, I rappel down the side of the W Hotel, which is down the <laughs> street from here. I, you know, jumped out of an airplane in New Zealand, by the way, and, and I go on live TV and I'm, and I'm not scared. I'm scared of the little things and it, it it's 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 relatively constant now that I'm aware of it but the great thing is that I get to be aware of it and just go oh this doesn't matter last night my friend I have a friend who's like a you know a famous person and she she took me to this very fancy premiere last night and you know it was like Nicole Kidman Aussie um and Javier Bardem and all these people and 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 I and my instinct because of my fear is I want to be really cool like I want to just look like I got you know I'm not affected and um and I was finding myself uncomfortable sometimes I'm uncomfortable in those situations then I went to to the bathroom and I'm like what you're awesome just be yourself stop worrying about it. You're not trying to get anything from these people just, and and then I could just sort of relax into it, but just acknowledging that I was having anxiety Mm. is what relieved it.
1: Mm. I was listening to a podcast this morning with Lewis Howes and Amy Cuddy. And Amy was talking about how, if you feel a little bit anxious, how, if things are going on in your life, you just go into the bathroom and you look in the mirror, and you just take a little time out. So that just kind of reminded me of the bathroom story. And it wasn't the the premiere for nine perfect strangers, was it?
0: No, it was for um. um it's the Lucille Ball and Ricky Ricardo being
1: Ricardo's. Ah. ah, very nice, very nice indeed. Wow. Okay. I know. Well, I'm fancy. very fancy. I've never been yeah. to an official. Famous movie premiere, maybe one day, who knows? For it. <laughs> I know, yeah. Australia is not really known for big, big time movie premieres. You gotta go to Hollywood where you are right now. So exactly. Exactly. Which I'm even more jealous of anyway. <laughs> now that you mention it. You'll get, here. You'll get here. One day. Um so what is a question, Anna, what do you love the most about yourself and your story currently?
0: What do I love the most? Um, I love, I love that I find humor in in almost everything, and I never really realized that I was like that. Um, it's interesting because because I've been reflecting. I haven't articulated this. It's just a thought I've had, but I've been thinking about it you know, I'm, I'm really for the first time in my life in a place, where not only do I love myself, but I, I have love. I live with my boyfriend and it's healthy. And I've been thinking about people who have loved me in the past, who I have heard. Uh, I was mm-hmm. thinking about my old writing partner and, and an ex-boyfriend and how they both said something similar to me, which is, you know, which is basically like, you have such a unique perspective. You find the humor in everything. And I didn't really take it in at the time, but 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 I do now. And it's like that's so awesome. Um, I really I'm funny. And more than that, I it it I I'm I'm kind of joyful. I want to have fun. And I see that I'm a very entertaining person. And so I think that's that's what I love the most about it. You know, Party Girl was a book that I wanted to write because I got sober. I realized that life was sobriety. It was nothing like I expected it to be. And I thought, well, if I can save one person from having to feel the way that I did, that will be wonderful. I want people to know how funny it is. Our meetings are hilarious. And I want people to know that. And so that's why I wrote a novel and not a memoir because I thought it could be funny. And I think that's a gift to Mm -hmm. be able to take the tragic and make it
1: funny. I love people that are able to find the joy in almost anything. They're amazing to hang around. Like it's infectious. Yes. <laughs> so, you know, if you are going to, uh, yeah, just be someone that is kind, nice, funny, you are going to attract so many people <laughs> and going to infect a lot of people with the same kind of thing, I guess. So, yes, absolutely. Yeah. It's reciprocal right it goes it passes down when when you do see it and they can't really complain when someone is this other thing as being overly joyed i don't think so
0: i mean there are people who who can be annoying with it because (laughs) it feels disingenuous perhaps but but i know i like being around people like that
1: yeah when it's authentic joy right i think that's that's a true version of it so did you ever think that you would be where you are today? Did you ever think that you would write Party Girl, that you'd be, you know, we're launching other people's books, going on these TV shows, I mean, these shows on TV and having Party Girl launched into a TV show?
0: Movie. movie. Oh, movie, <laughs>
1: movie. There you go
0: you know i don't really know because i was never somebody who thought about the future i never had a this is what i want to be when i grow up um i remember it was the last week you know the, the last semester of college when i realized everyone else had plans and i didn't know what i was going to go do so at, at the same time you know i it doesn't surprise me really i i i really think that that i am while riddled with fear, as we discuss, not afraid to just claim stuff and just go, yeah, this is me. I, I help a lot of writers who who struggle from imposter syndrome and who who think like, who am I to write a book? And it, who who am I to? And um, and I it, I do have way more imposter syndrome about my business because I can't believe people pay my company that's me large sums of money. I can't believe it. And I have a lot of fear around asking for it. I hate being the salesperson (laughs) um, because I just it's so hard for me to say these numbers. And yet what we provide is worth way more. These clients go on and and make they did they never make their money from book sales, to be clear, but they make hundreds of thousands of dollars off the businesses that they can build on top of these books. Mm. So I'm not offering them that, that's some kind of a scam, but still that's, that is where my imposter syndrome kicks in.
1: How have you been able to remove your imposter syndrome? Have Has it been challenging for you?
0: It is challenging. And, and I, you know, there's no solution except walking through it. There's, there's, you know, Pema Chodron is this monk who writes these incredible books, um, and she talks a lot about how you to deal with discomfort, you have to lean into it. You have to go. Oh my God, this makes me feel so uncomfortable, let me feel it because it's the resistance that causes the pain. It's the resistance that makes it last. So if you just go, I'm scared, you know, and it's funny, I'll tell you this is very meta. Um, for a long time, I thought I didn't like doing podcast interviews because because I would just feel this dread and, and go, you know, I don't, and people would ask me to do them. And I just go, you know, I, I really don't like doing them. And, and then I, I was like, Oh, you're just scared. You don't want to admit you're scared. Cause you've been on CNN live. So why should you be scared of a podcast interview? But, but if I just can go, Oh, you're just anxious. Like it's okay. That's how I deal with it. Mm.
1: Taking a step into the uncomfortable will eventually be comfortable later on. Exactly. I believe that.
0: My friend uh, Jeff Kober says, you know, life is just about getting comfortable with discomfort.
1: Yeah, very true. I totally agree with that one. What do you think, you've, you've helped a lot of authors, you know, launch books into the world. And for myself being a, it's actually funny this morning, I found out that my first book will be launched into the world Next year, twenty seventh of September, which is like nerve wracking. <laughs> next, next experience entirely for me, and I, I, I kind of relate to the imposter syndrome a little bit there because I'm thinking, what well, is my book going to be good enough? I want it to be good. I want it to sell. I want all that stuff to happen. Then it's like I've been told all these crazy. I've been rejected by forty publishers, forty something agents, and the whole process was like, okay, does that mean that I'm a bad writer? Does that mean my book isn't going to sell if these professionals don't want to take it on? Or what does it mean? So I guess I'm curious what, in your opinion, makes a a great author and that book to be great at the same time?
0: First of all, J.K. Rowling was rejected more than you for hmm. Harry Potter. So uh, there are so many examples of That so. First of all, what's your book called?
1: It's called "The Path of an Eagle: How to Overcome and Lead After Being Knocked Down."
0: I love it. Did you know September is Recovery Month? So that's a very good time. Ah,
1: well, the book actually does talk about a lot to do with addiction. So there you go.
0: So yes, and so when you are pitching media um, and all those things, which you should, make sure that that's that can just be a great news peg. And and here's the thing about. It's a good book. It's, it's all so subjective. I, you know, I don't read Harry Potter. I don't love Glennon Doyle. Everybody I know thinks Glennon Doyle is just the apex of brilliance. So what do I know? Um, mm-hmm. you know, I like reading Martin Amos over and over again. So, so It's all about personal taste. I think we can all know what's bad quality. uh, To me, bad quality is obviously riddled with errors, but but (laughs) inauthentic and, and cliched. And we use cliches because we aren't being honest or we don't want to be specific, but the best writers are simply the people who write the most. You can have an intrinsic talent for it, but if you're not practicing then, then you're not going to be good, and that, and that, that's what I say to people. Because a lot of people come to us with with finished books, and they say, "Everybody told me I should write a book, and everybody tells me I'm a great writer." And so, I just sort of say, "Well, okay, do you write every day, all day, and have you for years? Because you're not going to write as well as someone who does do that." And and the reason our business works is is that people understand that they understand that they are, these entrepreneurs for the most part are terribly successful in one field and and they get that their talent is not in writing and that a writer is going to do it better and that a ghostwriter is really just taking their brilliance and crafting it onto the page. So in terms of what makes a book successful, to go back to the success question, it's, you know, it's how do you define success? To me, it's not selling a million copies. To me, it's it, it's changing people's opinions and lives and uh, and making a difference and leaving a legacy and all of those things. Because if we're going to define it based on how many people buy it, like only Glennon is successful. The rest of yeah. us are dismal failures And J.K. Rowling. That's a
1: good point, actually. I was speaking to a friend of mine, about this the other day. And she mentioned just surrender, like surrender all the fears, surrender all the, I guess you could call it imposter syndromes, (laughs) Those, those feelings of it, and just let go and allow God to take it where he wants to take it. And I think me being a perfectionist was like, no, I don't want to. <laughs> Why would I want to do that? I'm giving up the control and I don't like giving up the control. So that was like a massive rebuke for me. And I think it will be a continual rebu- rebuke as I'm moving forward <laughs> to just let go and allow it to be what it is um, and be comfortable with that. And it's good to know that um, I didn't get rejected as much as J.K. Rowling. <laughs> to. Not,
0: I mean, i that's a thousand percent it, though, because it's like, would you rather, um, you know, jump on a car and try to move it while it's driving? Or would you rather, you know, jump in a car and have it go and, and let the driver drive? Because that's really the difference. I've had miserable book launches and I've had joyous book launches. Yeah. And, the, and the New York Times bestseller was the most miserable. So it's not about <laughs> the number of copies sold. It's about appreciating you know party girl we just relaunched it in September and you know a lot went wrong i, I had a team member who screwed up and she's no longer a team member and <laughs> the, the, the reviews didn't show and, and and it was just kind of one thing after another and um and i i'm still embracing the joy from it because i get to go okay well that didn't work so that's good information so what can i do now last week Two weeks ago, I met this street artist who has the rights to print, to paint whatever he wants on these boxes around LA. And we went out there and he painted the party girl cover on a street corner that I pass all the time. It's one of the most iconic street corners in Los Angeles. And it's like, if I had been focused on, well, everything went wrong with the launch, I couldn't have met this person and come to this great, this great partnership. So it is really about looking for what's there because everything will go wrong. I promise <laughs> you, it will not be what you expect it to be. And, and I don't think any of us would write a book if we didn't kind of go, Well, you know what? I may be a genius. This may change the world. And then you know you're a writer when then you think, I, I can't believe I had the audacity to put this on paper. I'm a total idiot. Like that's what the journey is. It's vacillating between those two.
1: Can I tell you a secret?
0: Yeah.
1: Well, it's funny because I naively thought when I first started writing the book three years ago, that somehow the first draft would one day become a New York Times bestselling book. I was just, I was adamant that it was going to become a New York Times bestselling book. And then when it, when I finished it, I'm like, this is crap. What is this? <laughs> I had no idea what it was. <laughs>
0: yes, that's, that's what it is. That's how you know you're a writer. And Um, I, I've done it. I don't do it anymore, but I think on my first four or five books, I was like, I'm a genius. No, I'm horrible. (laughs) Now I'm just like, I am who I am. I'm neither a genius nor horrible. And, and it's, it's entertaining if nothing else.
1: I just love it. I love the whole process of being able to write a book. I mean, yes, it's great to get it out there into the world, but even the whole, formation of a book I think that for me as a creative person is joyous in of itself even if I do get those sometimes creative like little blocks here and there and I'm like okay well I'll just come back to it later on and I've gotten so much great advice from many different authors even watching your stuff as well Anna it's been great to just take it all on board and take it with my stride. I guess you could say that's always been helpful. But the second last question that I have for you, Anna, because I just noticed the time I really enjoy this conversation uh, is what does it mean to be creative for you?
0: What it means is I think accessing, I mean, you know, I guess using God a little bit to access to act, to make things up. And that can be business. I find marketing super creative. I find, um, I find, I find business as creative, if not more than writing, because I'm making stuff up. I'm trying things out. I got into writing because um, I'm obsessed with words and I'm obsessed with why people do the things that they do. And that's what you get in business too. So, so you know, it's, it's work that makes you feel alive
1: mm.
0: and it's yours.
1: Mm. I got into writing because I love stories. So yeah. stories are for me, like, for example, you know, how we're talking about Glennon Doyle. Yeah. I, to be honest, I'll tell you another secret. I haven't read any of her books. <laughs> <I've always laughs> so Read a little bit. I haven't read them. I've got nothing against her at all, like lover talks, all that sort of stuff. But for me, it's these kinds of books. You oh, know, the, I don't know who that is. It's, uh, I think it's only Australian-based at the moment, but it's kind of like the Keeper of Miracles is, is Holocaust survivors and real stories that have actually happened in the world and how they've been able to learn amazing things. There's another book that I read that's similar to this one called The Happiest Man on Earth. Um, and Eddie Jacou, he was another, he survived Auschwitz and he got to, I think 101 years old. It's an amazing story. So it's like that for me, in, in a sense, like I love words, I love stories, I love people, I love true stories even more. And it just helps like transform my understanding of the world, if that makes sense, so much more.
0: Yeah. I mean, and what about Viktor Frankl?
1: That too. Like, yeah. I have. I have that book somewhere there. <laughs> yeah. I love his book too.
0: It's amazing. It's amazing. So let me just ask you, so, so is it an Australian publisher that's putting your book out?
1: No, it's actually a US-based publisher. Um, it's Post Hill Press. They're associated with Simon & Schuster, which is one of the top five publishing okay. houses. So they, they distribute all over the world though, which is pretty cool. Um That's amazing it's a it's pretty it's a long story how it all happened but short end of the stick I reached out to an editor on a whim pretty much the same thing as I did with you and didn't expect them to say yes let alone even respond to me and the editor got back to me said she would read all of the material that I sent over uh, anyway she organized a time to speak with me over zoom and then I didn't expect her to say that we're, we want to publish a book over zoom and I was like a little taken aback by it <laughs> allow it to sink in but that's a short version of the story yeah
0: I love it that well i I can't wait to buy a copy
1: oh you're too kind <laughs>
0: so you have your hollywood premiere where you can you can see you know, how not that great it is. No, it is great here, but you can have your Hollywood
1: experience. You're absolutely amazing. Where, where do you want people to find you and connect with you, learn more about you, buy your, the copy of the revised version of Party Girl or relaunching version. Uh, where do you want people to go and get it?
0: Uh, the best place is just to go to partygirlrelaunch.com. Yeah. Right. That's easy. Um, and you know, and I have all sorts of of giveaways that, you know, that uh day seven days of writing tips, uh, what it takes to be a best-selling author. And so people can just go to launchpaddownload.com to get whatever the latest one is when when they hear this. So, and then I'm on Instagram. That's probably the, the social media, you know, one that I'm the most active on at Anna B. David.
1: I love all her content, by the way. It's pretty cool. That's why. I I always get something out of it anyway. (laughs) So thank you for being your authentic self. My final question for you is my all-time favorite question I ask everyone at the end of all my conversations. It's a hypothetical one, but I want you to imagine with me for a moment that you've been able to reach the age of 100. All your friends and your family have decided to put together a film for you of everything you've ever said and everything you've ever done. Don't ask me how in the world they got it all. We'll call it magic for the sake of argument. But being able to get it and show it to you on your 100th birthday, what do you want that film to say and to show about your life? Wow. Um,
0: That that I grew, that I was always focused on, Improving not emotionally, and that and that I loved, and that uh, I made people laugh. Mm.
1: It's a perfect send-off message, Anna David. Thank you so much for your time today, your story, your wisdom, your advice, everything that you're doing in the world. Thank you so much for joining me today on this Storybox podcast. really don't like this part because it means that sadly we have come to an end of yet another story. I just want to say thank you to all of you for tuning in and listening to our guests today. It is my prayer that you would have felt inspired, motivated, challenged in some way, and that you would have learned something new as well. If you would like to hear more amazing stories like this one, you can do so now by searching up the Story Box on all podcast platforms. It is that easy. And if you did get something from today's guest, please do share it around with your friend or family member who you feel could benefit from hearing today's story. And before you go, i greatly appreciate it if you could spend 30 seconds leaving a rating review over on Apple Podcasts. It goes a long way to reaching more people and building this community of the Box. Let's start changing lives through powerful stories like this one you heard today. Your support is always greatly appreciated. Until next time, when we dive back into the story box, I'm Jay Phantom, and don't forget, your story is worth more than you know. I'll catch you then.
0: Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European Linen,